Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And I'm Catherine. We are delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who lead lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. So welcome, Naomi. We're happy to have you. Naomi Stanhouse is 73 years old. And you never know where you are going to meet the most interesting women over 70. Naomi and I were in the first cohort of the Intergenerational Ageless Innovators Program, sponsored by Chicago Innovation and Villages Chicago. We met at an event for all the mentors. I was immediately drawn to her passion around the work she does in the field of aging. We had lunch, and I learned that Naomi is and has been a consultant to nonprofits, helping improve their management and governance. Around 1987, she began consulting with the Retirement Research Foundation. Their mission is to improve the quality of life of older people. Naomi has supervised staff there. She's mentored new program officers and reviews proposals from nonprofits seeking funds. She also developed other special initiatives and now focuses pretty much on grants related to improving economic security in later life. Naomi was magna cum laude when she earned her BA degree at Case Western Reserve University. Her MA was from Harvard, and she earned her MSW at Boston University School of Social Work. When she is not working, she enjoys time with her grandsons, travel with her husband, and they even play tennis together after 48 years. <laughs> so, Naomi, <laughs> it's a pleasure to welcome you to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined podcast. Let's Thank start. you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, some of the things we'd like to talk with you about today are retirement security and women, but let's start by learning a little bit more about you. How did you go from social work to grant writing? Well, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. And so um, after social work uh, school, I uh, worked in the field of aging on a number of projects that were pretty much grant funded. And at one point, um, the supervisor said, well, we're out of money and we need to raise it, so go out and get it. And so that's how I um, began writing grants and um, did that for a number of years. And I worked for another local foundation in town. And um, for them, I not only um, reviewed grants, but helped uh, nonprofit organizations with what I called good ideas, but bad proposals to put their proposals in shape. And then I went out on my own and formed my own consulting practice around that at first before jumping ship, ship from the grant um, writing side to the grant making side. And um, I always think that every good grant maker should have had to be a grant seeker first. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you know what you're looking for. Right. That, yeah. So, so how did you get started with the Retirement Research Foundation? 
Um, well, let me just uh, back up and just give a couple more words about the Retirement Research Foundation because most of our listeners probably have never heard of us. They've probably heard of the um, late John D. MacArthur and the big uh, John and Catherine MacArthur Foundation. Um, that's his bigger endowed foundation. But at the time, he also set up a smaller foundation, which we call the Little Gem in Aging, and that's Retirement Research Foundation. Mm -hmm. oh. um, and we were one of the nation's first private foundations devoted exclusively to aging and retirement issues. So um, I got to them by um, having a number of um, clients who wrote, who needed funds in the field of aging. And so I was approaching them as the grant seeker and then um eventually they had a number of projects that i could work on and more and more of my time as a consultant became devoted to to the retirement research foundation i i know that the uh foundation uh has four areas that they prioritize right right we recently completed a strategic plan that led to selecting the priority areas of economic security and later life caregiving, affordable supportive housing, and social and intergenerational connectedness, connectedness. And I'm the staff champion for economic security and later life. And for that, our vision is that all older people will be able to achieve a secure and dignified retirement, that they'll have sufficient income to meet all of their basic expenses, that's housing, healthcare, nutrition, transportation, household essentials, and long-term care if necessary and that older people will have access to assistance if needed to plan and manage their income and savings effectively in later life, and that they'll be assured of a stable national retirement system that provides the support services and protections needed to achieve basic economic security. Does that mean then that you are, are influencing policy at the policy level? And that's one of the pathways that we work. We work in direct service, in professional training and education, in um, research, and um, policy slash advocacy. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the um, public supports for older people, um, pension systems and social security, those are issues that we work on. And in light of what's happening in the world today and, and how many people are going to be on Medicare, hopefully or not hopefully, how, how, does, the, how does the Retirement Research Foundation see working with it, working, presenting different options? What, what, what do they really see? Well, the first thing is that we, we look at the context of economic security in later life. So, you know, we um, gather a lot of data that um, describes the issues. So I'll throw out for you just some of the facts that underlie the challenges that we address. First is an estimated 25% of older couples and slightly more than half of older adults who live alone do not have adequate income just to meet basic needs. There's a very interesting index called the Elder Economic Security Standard Index or the Elder Index uh, that's been cited by the Congressional Budget Office as the best measure for um, the adequacy of retirement income for older people because it takes other indices like the federal poverty level that's always quoted, that doesn't take into um, account 
um, such, some of the costs that older people incur disproportionately, such as health care costs. So if you look, use those better measures, you find really very dire straits for many, many older people as they um, reach retirement age. 25% um, of older people don't have any retirement savings. And even families with retirement savings aren't adequately prepared because the median balance of retirement accounts is only $60,000. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, first we look at a lot of the conditions um, and then we look at the, the looming problems that are going to push those numbers of older people without economic security even higher, such as um, all the proposed cuts to vital safety net programs, cuts in Medicaid, Medicare, and the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, then um, Social Security cuts uh, as the uh, gradual age for taking benefits um, is moving up. That, of course, is really a cut in benefits. And mm -hmm. even that, you know, um, uh, Social Security contributes 35% of total income for all people age 65 and over. And one third of adults age 65 and over live in households where Social Security provides 90% or more of their income. So with the median benefit only at slightly over $14,000, um, you can see, you know, what conditions most people are in. And with the risk of the increasing number of boomers entering retirement and the general aging of the U.S. population, Social Security is at risk. So, um, you know, we, we look at figures like that. We look at um, there are $50 billion in benefits that older people are eligible for that are left on the table. Um, Could you say more about that? Sure. So, um, you know, programs like the Medicare Savings Program, that's for um, lower income older people that helps with um, Medi Medicare costs and also will support uh, the Medicare part of Medicaid. Then there um, is a program called Extra Help or the Supplemental Security Income. And of course, there's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. These programs are, the uptake on these programs is really quite small compared to the people who are eligible for those mm -hmm. benefits. And it's just that people don't even know about those benefits or mm -hmm. how to navigate them. So yeah. those are just some of the, you know, current conditions under which older people um, are living. So Naomi, when in terms of direct service, mm -hmm. you're providing workshops, seminars, public uh, materials for people. Say that that twenty five percent who don't have any savings. Yeah. What? How can they be assisted? Uh, there, there are lots of things that that can be done. First of all, in the direct service area, there's lots of financial education, li financial literacy programs that are out there that and and there are a lot of online tools that people just don't even know about there's a you know a great center center called the National Resource Center for older women it's a financial resource center for older women and um, there there's chock full of resources um, on that website uh, there are um, uh, security, financial security and retirement security calculators. So you can calculate what your costs are against what you have. There's something called um, benefits checkup and economic checkup, which are tools that, um, you know, where you put in, uh, you know, various uh, income and assets that you have, and it'll point to you the benefits that you can get. And you can even populate the applications on some of these um, with some of these tools. There's a great organization called WISER, the Women's Institute for Retirement Security. Uh, that's 
www.wiserwomen.org. They have so many resources on there, publications like A Simple Guide to What Everyone Needs to Know About Money and Retirement, Financial Steps for Caregivers, um, as I mentioned, the Retirement Planning Calculators. Um, there's something called um, Your Future Paycheck Calculator. Uh, lots of things that um, older women can both self-help and where they can go to seek help. Mm-hmm. That's right. And and is there a <clears throat> excuse me? Is there a high percentage of these women who are able to receive help? Uh, yeah, you know, again, depending on your level for self-help versus a need for assistance. I mean, there are lots of programs where the direct service, we're the funder, so we don't deliver the service, but there are lots of programs that we support mm-hmm. where there are actual counselors, you know, in-person, in-person training opportunities, um, in-person navigation to help you enroll in benefits, um, uh, training on budgeting, um, you know, lots of programs like that. Yeah, living in poverty seems to be one of the main issues that comes up all the time for seniors and elders. And um, I know that you mm-hmm. you have a particular mm-hmm. interest in women. Sure. Is there any way so, to um, two together you for know, uh, older women um, are in greatest economic jeopardy. So. Older women age 65 and over are nearly twice as likely to live in poverty compared to older men age 65 and older. And then older minorities and unmarried women are even at greater risk. Um, So, um, you know, why are older women in in the greatest economic jeopardy? First of all, um, we live longer, therefore we have to save more. So life expectancy for a woman age 65 and over Catherine and Gail, you'll be glad to hear that, is another 21 years. So that's... Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's not enough, Naomi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can bargain for more, I guess, you know. (laughs) If you have a healthy lifestyle, you might be able to bargain for more. (laughs) Yeah, I got to get out on a tennis court (laughs) (laughs) But that's three years more than for a man of the same age. So living longer, of course, means greater financial risks, such as inflation outliving assets, the death of a spouse, and unexpected health costs. So women, of course, need more resources to cover their longer retirement and prevent falling into poverty. But also, older women tend to fare worse if they're divorced, widowed, or have never been married. Um, and they've earned less and accumulated less during their working years, you know, less, uh, less than men. So for older women, they've earned 21% less than men and then among African-American and Latino women, that percentage is even higher, 40 and 45% less. And older women have had fewer years of earned income because mm-hmm. they spend an average of nine more years out of the paid workforce than men. And they've typically been caring for children and or adult uh, or elderly parents, you know, and that's put them out of the workforce. So, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, reasons that women are in greater economic uh, jeopardy. But there's also lots that women can do. Um, And, you know, some of the resources I mentioned earlier, women really need to get wiser. And that's why there is the organization Women's Institute for Retirement Security. And that resource center I mentioned, that's kind of a one-stop gateway for financial information. And then the publications that I mentioned. But also divorced older women need to get even wiser 
than other older women um, because pension and retirement ben benefits mm. are not automatically split in a divorce. So older women in divorce need to understand the importance of those benefits and how to no negotiate agreements. And they need to get the, to understand the importance of getting a qualified domestic relations order, which just until recently um, I knew nothing about, not because I'm divorced, but because a friend of being married 50 years it is just about to get divorced. And I learned that, um, you know, when you get mm. divorced, you have to have this particular domestic relations order for each as each pension that you might be eligible for. And then each of these quadros, as they're called, are very specific and very technical. And most family lawyers and estate planners don't even draft them. There's a very special area of expertise that, you know, people just don't know about. So, um, you know, then women, um, you know, often need help finding, as I said, their pension or their spouse's pension. Um, and there's a wonderful organization called Pension Rights Center that runs a, a number of um, pension counseling sites. We have one in Illinois, right here in Illinois. It's actually run out of New England because most of the work is done by telephone, but it's specifically the Illinois Pension Assistance Project. And that's one of seven federally funded, funded centers across the country um, that assist uh, pensioners or their spouses free of charge to find lost pensions because it's amazing how many pensions go unclaimed or, you know, as companies are bought and sold and merge, the pensions disappear and it's very hard to track them down. So, um, you know, as I said, not only are benefits left on the table, you know, such as SNAP and um, Medicaid and things like that, but um, pension benefits are left on the table. Yeah. It's an absolute wealth of information, and we appreciate this. Uh, I'd like to turn the tables just a little bit to, so we can learn a little bit more about you. And um, I'm curious about uh, how you think about retirement. We, we, a lot of our, many of our guests, um, it's not a word <laughs> that, that people are particularly fond of. So I'm wondering... What does it mean to you, and how are you looking, uh, thinking about retirement in your uh -huh. own life? Well, I do um, uh, struggle with um, the issue of retirement. In fact, we were just talking at lunch with my younger colleagues today about what are what are the greatest stresses <laughs> in your life. You know, the things you most worry about, and I think retirement about when and how and why is probably my greatest stressor. I, I guess I don't look at it as retirement so much as looking at what will I do in the next chapter. And um, I figured that next chapter's got about, given my um, longevity in my family, maybe 25 years. So um, that's a long time to figure out what next and what's next after that and what's next after that. Um, I don't have any immediate plans to retire, um, maybe to work less or to... Um, pick and choose the types of projects I work on and maybe to do more mentoring, which is uh, one of the things I really love to do. But um, I mean, I think I balance it well in that I don't do it full time now. So I leave time for developing things like tennis, which somehow doesn't develop no matter how long I play at it. <laughs> and, um, you know, and reading and film clubs <laughs> and book clubs and things like that and time for friends. So, uh, but I do think that in, um, in the next chapter, I will um, probably take on um, with a vengeance a volunteer project. <laughs> okay. 
You know, I'd like to go back for just a moment to the other items in the foundation's uh, priority prior for 2020. Just a brief, very briefly, tell me uh, about caregiving first. Sure. Well, caregiving is one of the, um, you know, greatest um, burdens that particularly women have taken up. Um, and as we said, it, it not only has economic implications, but it has huge implications on the health of the caregiver. Uh, both physical and mental health. So um, uh, we have a great interest in um, supporting, pro there are a lot of what they call evidence-based practices in the field, uh, evidence-based programs that support the caregiver. So um, we as a foundation are interested in supporting the best evidence-based programs that are out there and getting greater uptake on those programs. Um, and we're also interested in the promotion of policies that support caregivers. So the RAISE and the CARE Act, there, there's a lot of, um, some legislation that's already been passed but hasn't had the greatest uptake and some legislation that still needs to be passed um, to um, support economically caregivers or make them not um, penalized for their caregiving during their working years. Mm-hmm, mm, makes sense. Is uh, I was interested also in the social and intergenerational connectedness. Are you and tell us a bit about that also? Okay, we're really interested in um, uh, reducing uh, loneliness and social isolation through a variety of strategies. Intergenerational mm -hmm. connectedness is one. Um, uh, in fact, the way. Uh, Gail and I met through the um, Ageless Innovators that recognizes the need to bridge the gaps between generations, whether it be in the workplace or in the community at large. So, um, you know, we're interested. We know that um, loneliness is a big contributor to um, deteriorating health. Um, so uh, we're looking for, it's a, not as developed an area in terms of um, best practices for um, mitigating loneliness but we're out there looking for them. Finally, I'd like to hear about the housing priority. Well, housing is one of the greatest uh, you know, cost drivers um, for older people. And also um, the adequacy of housing and the type of housing you have is a huge social determinant of health. So um, where you live and what supports can be pumped into where you live is really essential to how well you will age in your community. So we're interested in both affordable, more affordable housing because there's um, such limited um, housing availability for um, low-income older people, but we're also interested in supportive housing. How can you co-locate services within housing to, um, you know, healthcare services, transportation supports, um, but primarily healthcare. How can you build those into housing to allow people to live um, independently for as long as possible. Hmm. Is the, this um, kind of recent movement about housing in place or li yeah, li living in place? Is that? Yeah. Aging in place is the common, the common term for aging in, in place of choice, you know, and of course there, there has been a, a movement um, uh, over the last few years to, um, uh, in favor of, of um, home and community-based services as opposed to institutional services. Yeah, this this is really tremendous information. We're going to try to put some of this on the 
on our website and in our Facebook group so that mm -hmm. the women who listen can take advantage mm -hmm. of some of these resources that I'm sure they don't know about. And yeah. And so is there anything that you would like to let our listeners know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd like to leave on an optimistic note is that while we you talked a lot about um, all the challenges to um, having an economically secure uh, later life, um, there's still a lot. And, and, you know, what I didn't talk about was that obviously to build up um, economic security, you can't start in later life. You really, that's a lifespan um, opportunity that one has to take advantage of uh, to plan for and put away funds for retirement. But even so, if one gets to old age with limited resources, there's a lot that can be done to both get help and help yourself to op optimize your income and savings in later life. Some of the resources I mentioned that you just have to go out and um, admit that you need help and go look for it or um, come to places um, like National Council on Aging and Wiser and other places like that that can point you in the right direction. So I'd like to leave it on a more optimistic note. Right. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, and I'm wondering too is, you know, for our, I think mm -hmm. you allude, alluded to this, but for our uh, younger women, mm -hmm. other than to say, well, start building security now. Uh, um, I would say gain financial literacy early. It, you know, it's amazing. And um, sometimes I think I'm, I'm not as good at this as I should be myself. That's how many women, uh, you know, haven't paid attention, um, have left it to someone else, often to a spouse. Um, or a child or someone else to, um, you know, manage and um, plan for them. And really women need to learn early, early on and take the reins and responsibility for their financial well-being. Okay. This has been wonderful, Naomi, really wonderful. We thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise with our listeners. Well, it's been a pleasure, and if I can provide the um, information on any of those resources for you and your website, I'd be glad to do so. Thank oh, you. That'd be wonderful. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts on Facebook at Women Over 70, ask questions, add to the conversation, and tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about, and become an active participant in our community. Invite your friends, family, and colleagues to join in. Our goal is to create an intergenerational conversation so you can access our weekly Wednesday podcasts at womenover70.com. And if you know a woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. Thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of their recording space. See you next week on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com. <laughs>